If you have your Bibles, open up to Mark chapter 7. We are trucking right along through the Gospel of Mark in our series called None Like Him. We are looking at the uniqueness of Jesus. We're looking at his life and how there is truly no one like Jesus Christ. And Mark shows us that very uh, fast-paced, it's quick. He goes from story to story very quickly. He is showing us all of these so important moments of Jesus' life that really define who he is as the Son of God and our Redeemer. So let's continue in Mark chapter 7. I want to pray for us uh, first, and, uh, and then we'll dig in. Lord Jesus, again, we're so thankful that we get to be here today and worship you together as the body of Christ. Lord, we are your people. And God, it is so important for us to be here and gather to worship you, to encourage one another, and to be equipped by your word to go out and live for you in this world. So thank you, Jesus, for giving us the ability to be here and to learn. Help us to be focused. God, would you focus our hearts and our minds now on your word and speak to us. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Well, today is uh, the final round of the Masters Golf Tournament in Augusta, Georgia. Now, you may think golf is terrible and boring. Uh, I tend to disagree. I love it. I, I try to play when I can. I'm no good, trust me. Uh, but it's fun. I enjoy it. But, you know, I've played with some guys before who, you know, they'll say, oh, you know, let's don't keep score. Let's just have fun. And I look at them like, what? What is that? Are you kidding me, right? Like, no, 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 we're keeping score, okay? I want to keep score. I don't understand that because number one, I'm competitive and I want to try to beat you, okay? And number two, I want to prove myself to myself, okay? Like, I, it's a problem, okay? Look, even when I play putt-putt with my kids, we're keeping score, you know what I mean? Like, no, no, Barrett, you had a five on that hole, not a four, okay? So keeping score in putt-putt or golf or sports in general, of course, that's good and that's fine. And that's appropriate. But unfortunately, many people have this score-keeping mindset when it comes to their lives. And particularly when it comes to their standing before God. You see, you may not realize it, but all of us have this tendency. We all have this tendency to evaluate ourselves spiritually, to, to keep this scorecard, this intangible scorecard of ourselves based on how good or how bad we're living. Today, we're going to see exactly why that is a big problem for us. And we'll see this by looking at a conversation that Jesus has with some religious people in Mark chapter 7. In fact, these people are the best example you will see of scorekeepers. These guys that Jesus is going to talk to loved to keep score. They wanted to make sure that they were outdoing others. And you're going to see that today. Mark chapter 7, look at verses 1 through 4 with me. Mark chapter 7, we're going to start with verses 1 through 4. Now, when the Pharisees gathered to him with some of the scribes who had come from Jerusalem, 
They saw that some of his disciples ate with hands that were defiled, that is, unwashed. Mark explains for us in verse 3 through 5, 3 through 4. Look what he says. He says, For the Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they wash their hands properly, holding to the tradition of the elders. And when they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash. And there are many other traditions that they observe, such as the washing of cups and pots and copper vessels and dining couches. Boy, Mr. Clean's got nothing on these guys. You know what I mean? And some of you are like, I do those things. That's my house, right? (laughs) Nothing wrong with washing your hands before a meal. In fact, I encourage that. But here's the thing. Who are these Pharisees? And why are they so bothered that Jesus' disciples are not washing their hands before they eat, right? What are they, the hygiene police? Are they just germaphobes? What's going on? Well, here's the thing that we need to know about who the Pharisees were. This is really important to understanding today's story. The Pharisees were a relatively small group of Jewish religious leaders who came onto the scene in the second century BC, all right? They were very influential among commoners, so just the everyday Jews living in Palestine. The Pharisees had a lot of influence through their teaching and rules that they made up and things like that. So here's what they believed. The Pharisees believed, very much so, that you had to earn God's approval and his acceptance of you. It was something that you had to work for. It was something that you had to earn. You had to convince God to bring you into a good standing with him. And not only that initially, but you had to maintain that good standing with God by being a really devout religious person and by following all the rules. So they were very careful then to obey all the laws in the Old Testament. And those Old Testament laws, by the way, were given to the Israelites to show them how spiritually unclean they were. So a lot of the things you see in the Old Testament, it may confuse us in our modern minds, but a lot of those laws that God gave the Israelites at the time was to spiritually show them to be an image of their uncleanness before a perfectly clean God, to show them that they need, they need spiritual purification. Well, the Pharisees, however, they took the Old Testament laws that were a good thing that God gave the people, and you know what they did? They turned them into a way for them to keep score. They didn't see Jesus as the solution to the uncleanness. They actually saw him as an obstacle because they were so... They were so dedicated to keeping score on how well they were living according to those Old Testament laws that Jesus' teaching just wrecked that for them. So they were so concerned with earning God's approval in this way that they actually, guess what? They didn't just live by the Old Testament laws. They went, they went above and beyond that and they created their own rules 
that were never in Scripture to begin with. Now, that's really important to understanding today's message. The Pharisees created all these extra rules in addition to the Bible, the Old Testament Scriptures, just so they could be sure they were extra clean and acceptable to God to prove themselves that they were good enough. So they're opposed to Jesus because as we see today, he was preaching a completely different message than the Pharisees. He was preaching a message that destroys spiritual scorecards. So they send some investigators, as you see there in verse 1. They send some investigators from Jerusalem, which was the religious capital of the, of the Jews. So, right, so these high and mighty investigators are coming to see who this Jesus, Jesus person really is and looking for any dirt they can find. Literally and figuratively, right? Okay. Sorry, cheesy pastor joke. I'm done. So we're going, so we're going to walk through the passage today a little different than normal. We're going to make points as we go instead of at the end. So, so here's what I want us to see today, all right? Four characteristics. Four characteristics of a spiritual scorekeeper. And I think they should serve as warnings to us because each of these goes directly against the gospel of Jesus and what he came to accomplish, his work. Number one, the first characteristic of a spiritual scorekeeper is that they play the comparison game. People who love to keep score love to compare themselves to others. Look at verse five. And the Pharisees and the scribes asked him, why do your disciples not walk according to the tradition of the elders, but eat with defiled hands? So washing your hands for all those different reasons that we just saw that Mark explained for us, and they went beyond that, and they washed their, their cups and their kettles and their pots, right? And so washing these things for all those different reasons, that was one of those extra made-up rules and rituals that they decided to enforce on people, the Pharisees. So let's be clear, this was not about hygiene at all. This was about keeping yourself clean and acceptable before God. And so when they see the disciples breaking the rule that they made up, they jump at the chance to condemn them. Now, of course, ultimately who they want to condemn is Jesus, the disciples' teacher, right? But pointing this out, it makes them feel good about themselves, because they get to compare themselves to someone else who's not doing as well according to their standards. It's so nice for them to see someone struggling and doing something wrong because it keeps them feeling good about their own moral superiority in their minds. That's what spiritual scorekeepers do, don't we? A great way to affirm our own score is to find others who aren't doing quite as well at least according to these made-up rules and standards we've created in our own mind. And so we look down on others, and we love to compare ourselves to others because it's just, man, it just kind of feels good, doesn't it? It gives you that sense of validation that you are doing a good job because when you look at how bad someone else is doing, boy, that makes you feel good. Jesus gives a great example of this in Luke Chapter 18, verses 9 through 14. You can read along on the screens. He also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves 
that they were righteous. Look at that. That's the key. That's the key, right? They trusted in themselves that they were righteous. Yet not I, but Christ through me is what we just saying. This is the completely opposite. And treated others with contempt. Verse 10, look at this. Jesus says, two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector who were despised among the people. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Jesus says, I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. Jesus is telling that parable, giving this example of the Pharisee, the high and mighty religious person who's looking down on the other person who maybe is truly repentant in his heart, right? Who is coming before God, humble, has nothing flashy to show, nothing important to, to bring. But yet the Pharisee looks down on him because he's not following all the rules the Pharisee made up. See, if your whole way of life, if your whole way of life is just one pursuit to prove yourself to, number one, God, to number two, others, and number three, yourself, then you will constantly compare yourself to others and how they're doing instead of comparing yourself to the only standard that matters, and that's God's. You see, God's standard is the only one that matters. Romans 3.23 tells us for all, not some, not just tax collectors, not just Pharisees, all of us fall short, right? We've all sinned. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. His standard is perfection, and so therefore, we're all in trouble. So the comparison game is pointless because we are all equally in need of grace. The second thing we see, though, with spiritual scorekeepers is they are more concerned about appearance of religion than actual heart faith. They're more concerned about you thinking they're a good person than they are actually believing and trusting in the Lord in their hearts. Look at verse 6. And he said to them, so this is Jesus replying back to the Pharisees, right? And he said to them, well did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites, as it is written, this people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. You see, on the surface, it seems the Pharisees want a relationship with God, right? I mean, their intentions seem pure at first. They just want to be clean. They just want to make sure, right, that they are living a life that God would approve of. But religion to them it's not about knowing God. It's not about being known by God and being in a relationship with him. It's just simply a platform that they have created for them to achieve their own idols. 
That's all it is to them. They have taken what was true of God in his word. They've distorted it. They've twisted it. They've added to it. And essentially, they have created their own religion. And they're just using that as a way to keep score. They're just using that as a way to achieve all the idols of their hearts, to be in control, right? I mean, nobody here struggles with the idol of being in control, do you? I mean, my goodness, that's probably one of the most common idols that we all struggle with. We want control. We don't want someone else to tell us what to do. We don't want to not be, uh, to, to be in a situation lost for answers. Like we want to control and manipulate so that we feel better about ourselves. And you see that so clearly in the, in the religion that the Pharisees have created themselves. Not just control, but respect, Right? I mean, so many of us struggle with just wanting others to think that we're smart or think that we are high and mighty or think that we're wealthy. Whatever it may be, we so value what others think about us that we are willing to make these sacrifices in our own spiritual true hearts so that whatever it takes to make the appearance of godliness there, we will do it. Control, respect, power, influence, self-esteem all these things that we want, all these things that we crave, we do not find them in Christ. We turn to other things in the world so that we have the appearance. And this is what spiritual scorekeepers do. You know, a great way to show others that you have a high score is to know all the right Christian lingo and all the right church jargon, right? And just, and just, you know, it's funny the things we do when we want that appearance and we want to convince others that we're doing well. We look for ways when we're having conversations with people to kind of brag about ourselves a little bit. You know, everybody loves a good humble brag. Well, I'm just so honored because I'm so great and I'm so humble about it, but I'm so great, you know? Like we do that. We, we try to insert ourselves into conversations and, and we, we love to voice our achievements to others. We love to find a way to work into there that we've done something great. You know, maybe you see Christianity, maybe you see coming to church as just a platform like that, a way to show off your achievements, maybe a way to validate your social standing. I mean, come on, we all want to be good Americans and go to church and make people think that we're great citizens, don't we? Well, you can't go to church and not do that. Maybe that's what you've believed in your mind. And you just want to make everyone think that you have your, your life nice and neat and well put together. When in reality, it is a show. It's just a show that you're playing, that you're putting on. And the truth is, on the inside, people have no clue the struggles and the addiction to sin that you have, the anger that is ruling your heart, the control issues, the idolization of respect, all these idols are churning in your heart, but on the outside, you just want people to think that you are doing so well, better than them. That's the Pharisees. In their hearts, it's not about God. It's just another way to impress people. It's about themselves. It's self-absorption. It's narcissism. Jesus calls these Pharisees hypocrites for a reason. They don't really care about fellowship with God. They just care about the approval of others. And so, listen, this is hard. This is a hard truth for us to swallow, 
But I have to ask the question, and we all need to ask ourselves this truly, why am I here? Why am I in church is what I mean. Am I here to impress my mom? Because I know she'd be so disappointed if I didn't go to church, and that's really the only reason I'm here. It's a show. Am I here because I want my spouse to think highly of me, and I know we would have serious problems if I wasn't here? And ultimately, that's why I'm here. It's just a show. Man, it's funny the things we do in life but it's terrible the things we do in the church when we use it as a mask. Spiritual scorekeepers. Number three, they care more about their traditions than God's word. They care more about tradition than they do what God's word actually tells us to do. Look at verses, this is a little bit longer here, verses seven through 13. Now we're gonna start with just seven through nine. All right, verses seven through nine. So Jesus is continuing this quote, right? He says, in vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. Now he's speaking again here to the Pharisees. You leave the commandment of God and hold to the tradition of men. And he said to them, you have a fine way of rejecting the commandment of God in order to establish your tradition. So like I said, you see, the Pharisees came up with all kinds of rules that they wanted to live by that aren't even in the Bible. You won't find them. Why did they do that? Well, again, I think it's about control of their scorekeeping, right? They essentially create this religion that they could manage and manipulate and set their own standards. But here's what happens when you do that. When you start adding rules that aren't even in the Bible, you know what happens over time? They become cultural traditions, and so you can see that in almost any subculture, right? You can see it with the Pharisees. You can see it today with Christianity in America. Sometimes we add things and we, we add rules. And a lot of this stuff is just preferences. It's not that they're inherently bad, but over time, these preferences become tradition. And then we start holding that tradition up as if it's authoritative with Scripture itself. Because guess what? That's exactly what the Pharisees did. The Pharisees were imposing these traditions on everyone else so they can maintain this sense of control, right? And they became so important that they put their rules on the Jewish people on the same authority, nay, above. They put above scripture in the priority list, right? And so, and listen, that is blasphemous. That is satanic, what they're doing here in the first century. So you can see in Jesus's tone here, Right? He takes this very seriously, and so should we. He gives an example, in fact, of what he's talking about. Look at verses 10 through 13. Jesus tells them, he says, For Moses said, Honor your father and your mother, and whoever reviles father or mother must surely die. But you say, if a man tells his father or his mother, whatever you would have gained from me is Corban, that is, given to God. I'm going to explain that in just a second then you no longer permit him to do anything for his father or mother, thus making void the word of God by your tradition that you have handed down. 
and many such things you do. This is just, in other words, Jesus is saying, here's just one example of how your traditions are actually harmful to others. And there's a lot of, Jesus basically says, oh, the list goes on. There's many such traditions that you have created. But look, he is quoting here from Exodus chapter 20, verse 12. We know this. If you've grown up in the church or you're familiar with the Bible, this is one of the Ten Commandments, right? Honor your father and mother. And then chapter 20, Exodus 21, 17, where the seriousness of not obeying this command in the ancient world, in Jesus, in, in God's law in the Old Testament, is seen very clearly, right? But here's where the Pharisees go around Scripture to create their own rule. Now, the ESV Study Bible note can explain this far better than I can, so I'm going to read you what it says. It says, part of honoring father and mother is to care for them both financially and personally in their old age. However, Jewish tradition allowed that funds originally dedicated to the care of parents could be declared korban, that word means dedicated to God, meaning that the person no longer be required to do anything for their father or mother. So here's the point of this example that Jesus is giving. You see, the Pharisees disregarded what God's word said. They created their own rule and their own tradition to work around what God's word actually said, and it ended up harming people. It harmed those of old age who were weak and helpless and needed that help financially and relationally. You see, this is why Jesus calls them hypocrites, right? Because they act like they care about being obedient to God's word, yet they neglect what his actual word says and replace it with their own rules. Of course, that's the definition of spiritual hypocrisy. You see, this is simply just another way to keep score on your own terms. I think this should serve as a warning to the American church today. Listen, all tradition isn't bad. I'm not saying that. Nobody's saying that. Traditions in and of themselves aren't inherently bad. But we need to be careful not to lift up our traditions in the church to the point that as we're lifting the tradition, we're actually lowering God's word. And I think, the, I think the question we have to ask ourselves is, what is actually driving us? And I use that word driving to mean, what is our foundation? What is steering us truly as a church? Is it God's word and what it actually says, or is it a tradition that someone created 50 years ago and we're still trying to operate according to that? That is exactly the point that Jesus is making. These Pharisees are clinging to man-made tradition, thinking that that's the best way to live, when in reality, God's word is what gives life. Number four, they ignore the real problem. Spiritual scorekeepers ignore the real problem, and that's an unclean heart. Look at verses 14 through 23. We'll read all of them together. And he called the people to him again and said to them, Hear me, all of you, and understand. There is nothing outside a person 
that by going into him can defile him. But the things that come out of a person are what defile him. And when he had entered the house and left the people, his disciples asked him about the parable. And he said to them, then are you also without understanding? Do you not see that whatever goes into a person from outside cannot defile him since it enters not his heart, but his stomach and is expelled? Thus he declared all foods clean. And he said, what comes out of a person is what defiles him. For from within, out of the heart of man, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All these things come from within and they defile a person. What is Jesus talking about? You see, the Pharisees were so concerned that they were going to become unclean, right? They were so concerned that they were going to do something wrong or touch the wrong thing or eat the wrong food that they had dreamed up in their head and made up all these rules that would make them unclean before God. And while missing, while missing the whole point of the Old Testament law, the whole point of the Old Testament law was to show our need for a Savior, to point us to the fact that we cannot save ourselves, that no matter how good we try to be and how hard we try to work, that our standing before God is always going to fall short. In other words, the Old Testament, the point of the Old Testament is to show you and me, that our hearts are already unclean and there's nothing you can do about it. And that's a heavy weight to bear. The fact that we are already unacceptable to God, that's bad news for every single one of us. I mean, yeah, some external things are naturally bad for you, of course, but they're not what make you unclean before God. You see, there's a much deeper problem. And that's what the Pharisees just missed, right? They missed the forest for the trees. You see, if you think, if you, if you think a good enough score is what is going to get you into good standing with God in a relationship with God so that you get to live with him forever in peace and paradise of heaven, the new heaven and the new earth, right? If you think that it's just you convincing God over time that you've done well enough, then here's what you're going to do. You're going to fixate your entire spiritual life on whether you are living good or bad according to whatever terms you're looking to. And there's a word for that. It's called moralism. Or you could say we use that to achieve behavioral modification. In other words, what you're focusing on is simply your behaviors. You're not actually looking deeper to the problem in your heart, the root cause of those behaviors, right? So you just focus on having better behaviors and never get to the true heart issue. It's like I heard another pastor use this illustration one time, and this is true for me, literally, uh, yesterday. So when you, when you have weeds in your yard, 
right? And, and you go out like I did with the weed ear. Also, I was blowing, I had a leaf blower yesterday blowing leaves and the wind was blowing like 25 miles an hour. And I'm pretty sure my neighbors think I'm crazy. <laughs> like, what is this guy doing? <laughs> is he crazy? Uh, but anyways, so, you know, some weeds in the yard and whatnot. And, and here's the thing, okay? So if, if you have weeds in your yard and you take out the lawnmower and you just mow them down, right? You mow over these weeds. Well, guess what's gonna happen a week later? They're gonna be right back. <laughs> and they, go, they grow faster than grass. You'll see them, right? And so what are you gonna do? You're just gonna mow over them again? And then a week after that in the summertime, you know how it is here in Florida, every week you gotta mow the grass. You're just gonna mow over them again? Or, or are you going to actually get some weed killer and kill those suckers at the root so that they die and they never ever come back? Man, how many times in our lives are we just mowing over the weeds? We have these behaviors and we know our behavior isn't stacking up. We feel like we're not living the way we should according to the standards we've created in our own mind. And so it leads to just anxiety because we're so nervous that we're not living a good enough life to please God. And what do we do? We just look for simple tips and tricks. Maybe we go to Barnes and Noble and buy a self-help book. Or maybe we try to just talk to somebody about some of behavioral changes we can make. Maybe adjust your routine. Oh, you need more sleep. Or maybe you just need a healthier uh, lifestyle and eat some better, eat better and these kinds of things. Listen, all that's good and fine. And all that, sure, can improve your comfort in life. But at the end of the day, what we need is not to mow over the weeds of our heart. We need spiritual heart surgery to kill the root. But if we're doing whatever it takes just to get a better score, if we're doing whatever it takes just to impress others, then we don't care if we're attacking the root or not. We just want that temporary respect. We want that fleeting happiness of approval. You see, the Bible tells us it's not just that we do bad things. It's not just that we do bad things. The Bible tells us that we are bad. There's a difference. Do you see that? It's deeper. It's not just that you sin, it's that you're sinful. We don't need more rules and tips and tricks. We need new hearts. That's why Jesus says in John chapter 3 to a Pharisee, by the way, named Nicodemus who comes to him, what does he tell him? He says, you need to be born again. Your first birth didn't work out so hot. You need a new life. You need a new heart. You need to be born again. And I can only, I'm the only one that can give you that in Christ, right? And so he says, he says here, that's why Jesus says in verse 21, that it's from out of the heart. It's from within that all this evil is coming. Philippians chapter three, the apostle Paul, you know, the, the apostle Paul, man, you got to love him because he understood this so well. You know why? Because he was a Pharisee. He was trained and mentored by one of the top-notch Pharisees in all of ancient, ancient Israel. Seriously, Gamaliel. It's, it's just fascinating to think about. The Apostle Paul was just on his way, keeping score, working real hard, thinking that he was awesome and doing all the little things that you could do for the Old Testament law and creating these old, these, all these extra rules. And he's just walking on his way one day to Damascus down a road essentially to persecute Christians because they weren't so keen on all of his made-up rules. They followed Jesus. But the very one he was persecuting 
stopped him in his tracks and got a hold of him. And so Paul, looking back, reflecting on his own life, his own journey, look what he says in Philippians chapter 3, verses 4 through 9. Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also, if anyone thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. Paul says, hey, you want to see a good scorecard? You want to see a good record? Buddy, I've got it. You can't beat me. I've worked so hard to build that resume. Look what he says, though. After he met Jesus Christ, verse 7, he says, But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. That is the gospel. If we can be good enough to earn God's approval, then Jesus would have no reason to die. If you could do it on your own, why did he go through all that? Sin requires payment. Not a cover-up and not modification. Back in Mark chapter 1, we saw the story of Jesus cleansing a man with this terrible disease called leprosy. That man was considered unclean. And that is the perfect illustration of what happens to us when we turn away from this scorekeeping world that we have created and we turn to Christ to be everything we could never be. Jesus, the clean, you know what he does? He becomes unclean so that we, the unclean, can become clean. He trades places with us. He takes our sin upon himself and is crucified for it, paying the penalty that we should have paid. I want everybody in here to understand this. You will never be good enough. Boy, that message doesn't fly in most of the world's circles today. But I'm telling you right now that that is the truth of God. You will never be good enough. That's the bad news. But man, there is good news that rests on the backdrop of that terrible news that the world has nothing that can touch this good news. The good news is someone has been good enough for you in your place. And that's exactly what Christ has done in exchange for our sin. Christ gives us His. 
perfect scorecard. Yours was a complete failure, but you give it to Christ. He takes your terrible scorecard and he gives you his perfect one and it's credited to your account. So my encouragement to you today is let go of your scoring. And some of you are living under this weight and this pressure and you're putting it on yourself. Let go of the scoring. Let go of the pride. Because Jesus says in Matthew eleven twenty eight, 28, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden. Say it with me. And I will give you rest. Today's Palm Sunday. And what we're going to celebrate in a few days is not just another religious tradition. It's not just another way for you to check off your good Christian box or to give yourself some extra brownie points on your scorecard. What we are going to remember Friday night and what we're going to celebrate Sunday morning is the completed work of Jesus for us so that we can be clean forever. You know, the problem with scorecard Christianity, if you think you're doing really well, as I heard a pastor once say, if you think you're doing really well, guess what, man? You're gonna be so inflated with pride And you're just going to ignore God's word because you don't really see a need for it. But on the opposite end of that spectrum, if you're failing in life, you're only going to be led to despair. And that's really the only two options with scorecard Christianity. Thinking that you can be good enough. If you're doing well, it's pride. If you're doing bad, it's despair. Only the gospel is the cure for both. Because we realize there's no reason to be prideful. We all deserve hell. We've all fallen short of God's standards, and those are the only standards that matter. But at the same time, man, it lifts you up. It encourages you. It strengthens you because it reminds you that you are more loved than you can ever imagine. I hope that as a church, we pursue the gospel. Nothing else. In Christ alone, that we stand in him, yet not I, but Christ in me. May that be our anthem. May that be your personal anthem 